Let's give our students a hand. Good job, guys. That was awesome. Well, I first want to just uh, start by saying thank you to Dan and the leadership team of the church and everything for just giving us the opportunity to have have this uh, student, student Sunday. It's definitely a blessing. It's definitely blessing me, and I hope it's blessing you guys. So I want to just start with uh, just kind of like uh, telling like what we've been doing in our student life. We've been doing this series called Culture Shock, and what that it's a, it's a it's a study by Chip Ingram. Basically, it's just talking about what's happening in our culture, how, as Christians, how are we supposed to stand for our faith? You know, and for example, some of the questions that are portrayed to us, like, what happened, what happened to right and wrong? You know, well, what do you say to your gay friend? Things like that. So it's really just to get the kids to think, think about why do I believe what I believe and where do I stand in my faith? So when I was thinking about what I was going to preach about or talk about, I should say, I was thinking, well, I can just talk about how are we supposed to shock the culture as the church? And I want to first start with giving a few examples of how did Jesus shock culture. And the first one is in John 4, 4 through, 4 through 26. And, we all, and most of us know this. It's the woman at the well when Jesus meets the Samaritan woman. And, and we can go there. I just, want to read it. I just want to briefly read it. So John 4. 4 through 26, and we won't read the whole thing. I just want to do a little bit of review. So let's go to, uh, no, that's Nicodemus. Genesis 4, I'm sorry. Four. Aha, here we go. He had to go through Samaria on, on the way. Eventually, he came to a Samaritan village of Sakara near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. And the woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And then Jesus replied, if only you knew the gift God had for you, and who are you speaking to? And you would ask me, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. So I'm going to stop there. And I want to just give like a little quick brief history of how women were treated. And now, so like, like the woman at the well said, the Samaritan woman, why are you even talking to me? You know, because it wasn't... Jews essentially despised Samaritans because they were like almost like a half-breed of Jew and Gentile. So they didn't even have to do with it. And to get to, I believe Jesus was going to uh, Jerusalem, um, and uh, they would go around Samaria. They wouldn't go through it because they hadn't wanted nothing to do with them. So right here, this is one thing that, that Jesus is saying, hey, women are, uh, women are loved by God. They're not to be treated as property. They're not to be... Treated as just whatever. I love them just as I love you. So there's this, so there's this breaking down of this stronghold of religion. And then the next one I want to go to is Jesus cleanses the temple, which is John 13, 13 through 17. And we all know this. You know, Jesus goes into the temple and, and he says, you know, don't, don't make my father's house a place of, and some scriptures say, you know, a, a place of, you know, thieves or den, a den of thieves. And then in my, in my version, it says, uh, uh, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. 
and then it goes, and then the and then uh, and then the Pharisees go on to say, "Well, what right do you have to do this?" Yes. So right then again, we see another aspect of of Jesus showing showing who he is. You know, he's God. How dare you make my father's house house a uh, a place of a, a marketplace? And everybody was like, "Whoa, this is like this is crazy. What are you doing? Almost this radical thing." And and the anger that Jesus had was this righteous anger, and it was and it wasn't. You know, God gave us a uh, God gave us a spirit of anger, but to be used in the right way, not to be used maliciously. You know, we can look at David, right? David had a righteous anger towards the Philistines. How dare you mock my God? And then moving on, Jesus calls Matthew a tax collector, and that is Matthew nine nine three. I'm sorry, I'm kind of jumping around between a lot of scriptures here. So Jesus calls Matthew nine. Nine. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him home as dinner. Uh, I'm sorry, followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner, dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with such scum, or other translations say sinners. When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of the scripture. I want you to sow mercy and not offer sacrifice. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are, know they are sinners. So what is Jesus saying? He's breaking down another stronghold. He's saying, hey, don't allow your religiosity to get in the way of what God has called you to. You know, they... They were basically putting themselves, the Pharisees were putting themselves on this higher pedestal of, I am better than you. And Jesus is like, you are no better than, the, than these people here. So what is Jesus calling us to do? He's calling us to love one another, just as I have loved you. So again, another stronghold that Jesus is breaking down in culture. And then another, another passage, Matthew 12, 1 through 14, is Jesus heals on the Sabbath. And so right here, a discussion about the Sabbath. And so in the beginning of 12, 1, you know, the disciples are walking through the grain field, picking out food, food to eat. And, and then Jesus mentions about, uh, haven't you read the scripture, what David did when he and his companions were hungry? Uh, he went into the house of God and he and his companions broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. And haven't you read... In the law of Moses, that the priests on duty in the temple may work on the Sabbath. I tell you, there is, one, there is one here who is even greater than the temple. But you would not have commended me, my innocent disciples, if you knew the meaning of the scripture. I want to show you, I want you to show mercy and offer sacrifice, for the Son of Man is Lord, even over the Sabbath. And then we go on, and then, and then the next uh, part of that is Jesus heals on the Sabbath. And that's when he heals a, uh, a, a layman's hand. And, uh, and I believe it's uh, 12, 11. And, and the, uh, again, the Pharisees are saying, does the law, uh, I'm sorry. Then the Pharisees asked Jesus, does the law permit a person to work by healing on the Sabbath? And then, of course, they were trying to basically like, corner him and to say something that wasn't uh, essentially, that was blasphemy. And Jesus answered them, haven't you read the scripture? Again, I already read that already. So... Uh, what would, and so I'm sorry, I'm jumping around here. I need to focus. <laughs> I'm just, uh, this is just really cool what God just placed on my heart. And, so I, and I hope that you're understanding. And, I'll, and it will all be, all come to understanding in, my, in the second part of this. It's kind of like two parts. I tell you, there is one here who is greater than the temple. 
but you would not have commended my innocent disciples. If you knew the meaning of this scripture, I want you to show mercy. So again, there's this other, like, I am, I am over the Sabbath. There's this other culture shock that comes. I'm over the Sabbath. I'm over this. And what's interesting that I found is that, you know, what the laws set in place were, were by God and by God in, in Jesus' time. But what was happening was is there was this heart issue that was going on. There's this hard issue that the Pharisees were making, like, it's all about me. What can I, what can I gain? And all this stuff. So this heart, this, there's this heart issue that in each of these scriptures that Jesus is dealing with. Hey, where's your heart? Where's your heart? Where's your heart? All right, come back to me. Come back to me. Come back to me. And now the second part of this, again, is where is our heart at? at? How are we supposed to shock, shock culture? We are supposed to be different. And my main, my main scripture for, for this part is Romans 12, 2. Don't copy the behavior and custom of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. So right here, Paul is saying that, hey, there's supposed to be a difference between, between uh, the world and you. You accepted Christ, you know, put to death your old self. You're not, that's not who you are anymore. You know, you, you're, the flesh doesn't rule over you. Jesus rules over you. But are you allowing the Holy Spirit to transform you into a new person by changing the way you think? So there's this, this renewal of our minds. And there's, and, there's a, and there's a few points I want to make. In 1 Peter 1.13, we're, we're saying this is what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be different. There's this, there's this idea of you're supposed to be different. You're supposed to be different. You're supposed to be different. You know, Jesus was different. Look what he did and what I mentioned already, you know, the woman at the well, he cleansed the temple. He calls a, ta he calls a task collector and he heals on the Sabbath because he's saying, I am over the Sabbath. So in 1 Peter 1, 13 through 25, it says, so prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children, don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you, sorry, chose you is holy. For the scriptures say you must be holy for I am holy. So another word for holy is set apart or you're sanctified. Right? Or, and some different. <laughs> you're different. You're not part of the culture. One of the things that I've, sh I, yeah, you're different. Are you living a holy life? And another aspect of it is letting your light shine. In Matthew's five, Matthew 5, 14 through 16. Oops. You have heard the law that says love your neighbor. I'm sorry, that's wrong. That's another one. I'm sorry. Wrong scripture. <laughs> I have to come. I'm coming back to that one, actually. So uh, 5, 14. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. So what does that mean? It's saying, it's, it's saying that you have this light that burns inside of you. You know, you have, you know, it, it, you know in Jesus, you know, gave us a great commission to go to the ends of the world and preach the gospel, right? He didn't say preach uh, what the world is saying. He's saying preach the gospel that I've given to you, and that is the light, spreading the light. You know, 
uh, in this fire that burns inside you. You know, when I, one of the things I said to my students was, is when you walk into a room, does the light come in with you or does it stay at the door? Or, and so, meaning like Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes with you everywhere you go. So everything that you say, everything that you do has to be pointing to Christ. And the only way that happens is if you've allowed the Holy Spirit to change your life. Through the, you know, I've allowed God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to transform you into a new person, again, by changing the way you think, all these things. And when you start walking in that, people will see a difference and be like, what's different about you, you know? It's almost like this shock, actually. <laughs> and then again, and then another, another thing in Matthew is love your, love, your, love your enemy, love your neighbor as yourself, you know? Are we quick to forgive, or do we bury, bury our hurts and pains up so far that we become the people that hurt us? us. And I have actually a very interesting uh, story about that. Um, my, my cousin was over, and, uh, and, a lot, and he's had a lot of stuff that happened to him in, in his early childhood. You know, he was, out of, in, uh, he, was out of, he was in juvie a very, at a very young age, and then he got out. So there's a lot of, a lot of stuff that was going on in his life, and he and we, we had him over for um, we had him over for I think like a week or something like that, and he was just he was just tearing me down, just tearing me down, and to the point where in my heart I murdered him. In my thoughts, I didn't verbally say it, it but I murdered him um, because I was just so aggravated at him, so angry. And then God revealed to me that, hey, you're no different than him in your thoughts. And I was like, oh, I was like, oh, come on, man. You know? So what did I do? Once, once God revealed something to me, he revealed it. I went to him and I said, I forgive you. And he looked at me and he's like, for what? You didn't do any. And this was amazing. And God revealed to him like this. What did you do? You didn't do anything wrong. It was me. And I was like, it's because... And I explained it to him. It was because, they, yeah, you're doing all these things, but what am I doing? It's not about what you're doing. It's what am I doing? And in my thoughts, and, uh, I, was, I was so aggravated at you to the point where I hated you. you know? And after I forgave him, there was like this peace, and we were great buds after that. So it was, it was great. So are we quick to forgive? Okay, so I said all this stuff, right? Right? And to kind of wrap, to bring in my point, what is God calling the church to do? What is God calling us to do? So we talked about the individual. Oh, okay, so now we, we know this, we understand this. Are we allowing it to sink into our hearts? But now what does the church do? He is calling the church of today to be like the early church, or standing for absolute truth. Now what is absolute truth? Well, we've deemed the absolute truth to be the word of God, right? The word of God. Not relative truth, which is whatever we tend to, like, on our own circle, like, okay, this is what I believe, so this is, okay, whatever. Are we, are, are we not allowing certain things to get into the church? Like, for example, like, I've, I've, I've read and I've heard a lot of things where it's, you know, there's the acceptance of, unfortunately, homosexuality. Like, we agree with this, you know? Well, that's not what the church stands for. The church stands for man and woman or things like that. You know, and you're probably wondering, like, why is a 20-year-old who has been cultured by this modern saying this is because I stand on the word of God. I don't waver in this. Yes. Because this is what God is calling the church to do, is to stand for absolute truth, not to waver in that. 
God has called us to live a life worthy of praise to him. We, the church, are supposed to be the ones that influence culture, not conform to it. How are you changing culture? So what are we doing, church? What are we doing? And the only way that, that can do it, that, we, that that can happen, is if we allow God to change the individual life. Then the church can change. So I kind of, so if you want us to stand real quickly, and this kind of wraps up my message. I know it's very, very short and sweet, but I hope that it blessed you just as much as it blessed me to preach it. It's, it's honestly kind of hard to say that because it's not said a lot in the church. And like, it's not like blatantly said, like, this is what we believe, and like, this is what we don't believe, and this is what we don't agree with. So I want to give like a quick altar call, and Daryl, if you want to come up, and we're going to get into uh, communion real quickly, but I want to give an altar call. Is there anything that is holding you back from what God has called you to do in your life? That is, is there anything that, is there any secret sin, or is there anything that is stopping the furthering of the kingdom of God? Uh, so I want to just pray real quickly for that, and, and if there is a burden on your heart that you want to just raise to the Lord, I just encourage you to raise your hand and just give it to the Lord. God, I want to thank you for this message that you have given me. God, we stand for absolute truth. God, I lift up the cares of the people today. God, if there's anything in, in our lives that is holding us back from you to further the kingdom, to change culture the way that you want us to change it, like the early church did, this radical movement of, of, of your truths, God. God, we just cast it all at your feet right now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.